Hello, I'm Nathaniel, and welcome to the Descent into Illumination. As always, welcome to the Descent into Your Illumination. As always, I am still your faithful host, Nathaniel. Sorry about the delay in recording. I am currently going through a wild hermit phase, and I am enjoying every moment of it and finding new peace and contentment as I continue to change my identity. But I am not the star in the focus of today's episode. With me, I have a very lovely guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hello, my name is Crystal. Hello, Crystal. Is there anything we should know about you right off the bat? Um, yeah, that I'm emotionally wired, because that is going to be a major theme of today, um, is how I process things and other things. So that's probably the start of it. And uh, this is a shout out to my dog, because I love her. And she's my companion in life. Would you like to say her name? Oh, yeah. Phoebe. <laughs> Who is dog? My, my pup pup, Phoebe. Feebles, Phobes. She's got many names. And yeah. name do you usually call her by? Phoebe. Phoebe? <laughs> well, it really changes throughout the day. So, what does Phoebe mean to you? Uh, she's my emotional support. She's literally like my companion. She follows me around the house. She gives me love. She's very social, so she likes to just sit on me. Mm-hmm. Um, she always wants to be pet. She has a blue ball. And I just, I love her energy. She's like, you know how they say the owners match the dogs? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's her and I. <laughs> so then I have a quick question then, because you have experience with my dog, yeah. Coast. You know, you've, you've met him now several times. Would you say that that matches? In a way, yes. How would you say it matches? <laughs> Ridiculous. No, okay, okay. <laughs> I appreciate the honesty and the candor. As always, break, make, having breaking news on the Descent into Illumination <laughs> podcast. Um, Good no, energy. but you know, I'm sure Phoebe's with you here at Energy right now. I've also met Phoebe, and I can attest to her adorable nature. <laughs> she is lovely, um, and who doesn't love a good girl? You know, exactly. She's adorable, and she loves pets, and she's a cuddler, and destroys things just like yeah. my dog Post. <laughs> I've seen pictures. There's there's photographic <laughs> evidence of this. So a fluff everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, exactly. So you've mentioned um, already a little bit that yeah, Phoebe, at least, is uh, an emotional support animal. So let's talk about um, how um, what's maybe some of your current challenges are with some of your emotional regulation or whatever it might be. Um, one or of them, yeah. One of them is definitely uh, accepting moments as they come and uh, not obsessing over them because I typically am an overthinker, but. Um, I've been doing better about not overthinking and thinking, you know, things I can't really control. And I've also been doing better with uh, my anxiety, being able to calm it down where, you know, about a year ago I was, my anxiety was out of control. I could never calm Mm -hmm. it. Um, The other thing is, is obsessing over things Uh, with the taking moments as they come and calming myself down to appreciate them. And like I said, not obsess, not over not overthink about them um and the biggest part is processing emotions and not letting them consume me because that's something that has significantly played in my life and things that have happened so one fun sidebar from what you just Mm -hmm. described right there 
is that this podcast episode recording destroyed all three of those attempts at regulations. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had a, uh, you know, it's a little intimidating when you go to share your story for the first time. So I want to take a mention real quick and just saying how proud I am um, of you coming onto this podcast and taking um, your challenge and strides and something that of healthy emotional expression. Yes. Um, so you said, you know, really for the past year, what, what's kind of that about? Um, so that is my main thing is... Uh, I already have in life, um, and I'm going to talk about it, I don't want to say it yet, um, a disorder, um, you know, with my mental health and stuff, and uh, my whole life I've had to process it, and for the last three years, I have started to dip low, and last year was probably the height of the lowness, um, and it started, I'm really good with dates and stuff and like kind of remembering time periods. You got so, a natural rain man right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was probably the springtime that it really started to dip. And then the summer it like started to dip even more. And, you know, I don't want to get into the detail right the second. But then uh, fall time it tanked and uh, I hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a climb since then. And since I said it was since last spring, we're at the year mark. So. <laughs> a little over the year mark because yeah. we just um, yesterday, as you so kindly reminded yes. me, was the summer equinox, which is the day of celebration. Yes. The longest day of the year. Also known as the day the sun never sets in Phoenix, Arizona because <laughs> it, everything is melting. Yes, we are. Um, so we have standards here, though, people. We have standards. Like staying inside um, in your AC. Yeah, like staying inside in your AC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, a really good one. So. Let's go. Let's go a little farther back then. So we got we got a rough idea of kind of the roller coaster, if you will, that has been the past year. You know, um, you're doing it kind of in reverse though, because you went down and now you're coming back up. Yeah, so, yeah. Which is, um, I mean, in terms of emotional growth, is a very healthy roller coaster. Yeah. You, know, you got you know, <laughs> after you tank, if you're, you you can always keep going lower. That's possible. But to actually pick yourself up again to start growing again, that's uh, that's a challenge, and it's it's it's, an, it's a sh- indication that you've decided that you're worth it. Yeah. Um, but let's go farther back real quick. Um, on a side note, mm-hmm. I forgot to thank you. I do want to say that oh. for sharing your space with me and letting me take up space Always. here. Um, and the one thing before I start talking more is there are specific trigger warnings here. I know the podcast has a general trigger warning. Uh, there will be talks of um, childhood abuse, domestic violence, uh, self-harm and suicide uh, ideation mainly, but suicide attempts. Um, and some people do get triggered by someone talking about severe depression, uh, so there will definitely be that brought up. Um, so I just want to say that really no, quick. No, <laughs> happy to have it. Um, it's an important thing, to say the least. So let's go a little bit farther back. Let's, you said you started with some childhood trauma. I think that's as good as a place as any to start when we're talking about the of, matter we're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And I know we talked about this being like kind of a mini-series, so I'm only going to lightly discuss this right now. Um, I do come from a family that has generational trauma, and at least that I know of, it goes to three generations, so who knows how far back that goes. Well, I would also argue that the human species has always been a trauma-informed species. It's not until very recently that we've started to address that. So you could make very fair claims that has been since however long your family has been a family. Yes, I actually really do agree. And that's something that I was thinking about discussing a little bit later is uh, how we are starting to become more emotionally aware. And I think it really is starting with our generation. Well, I mean, unless you believe in the theories of Atlantis, 
when um, there was because there was such an enlightened civilization or Shangri-La. Yeah. Then uh, we had a fall, but you know, at least according to the recorded human story, yeah, this is really the first generations that are really starting as a to, whole too. Because yes. I know there's been other individuals yes. throughout the other generations. Um, so I come from that, and that developed into um, my father becoming abusive. Um, and he was physically abusive, um, but, and I say this, and a lot of people get interested in this, is um, he was more so physically abusive towards my older sister and my mother. Um, I have my theories on why, and actually I'm not here to give those or talk about that. Um, but for me, one of the things uh, that I developed as a child was codependency problems, um, where I feel guilty, I internalize things, um, I was gas. I've been gaslighted my whole life. I want to take a quick uh, sidebar, real quick, to mention uh, that this is just survival mechanisms too. Yes. In the in the moment, these isn't when we talk about now having them as being unhealthy coping mechanisms and codependency issues. In the when you're going through abuse in uh, formative years like that, that's survival. That is. So we, I think that's really important to make um, note of that this isn't like um, oh I just one day woke up and decided to yeah. you know have. Um, uh, issues of codependency and stuff like that and need to have validation and uh, all these other things from unhealthy sources no this is literally you know little little crystal learning yeah. how to survive in a toxic environment and um, you know openly I'm in therapy and uh, on medication um, and that's going to be brought up throughout this entire thing um, my therapist has reminded me that uh, the ages four five six seven eight like those are detrimental years and those are developmental years and I've taking you know personality theories and stuff and that is something they say that really is um and also so part of my healing process right now is healing my inner child uh definitely and i believe in those archetypes uh, i think it's carl Jung <laughs> that developed all these archetypes and uh the inner child is definitely something that i am reaching out to and trying to heal and it's it's a progress and um We've made a little bit of progress. That's what I mean. But it's definitely uh, a trying experience. Well, and when you have these issues that you've had in your formative years, uh, like you've stated, that's you're going to be healing it for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's you know? true. And we want to emphasize that, too, that there is no goal. I mean, there, there are goals. Yeah. But there is no uh, checkered finish line and when Correct. it rates uh, of emotional growth and healing. And I think that's actually the best way to describe it is that checkered finish line uh because it's you're never gonna stop mm -hmm. you know with your enlightenment yeah. and you're discovering yourself and healing and for me uh reincarnation is something mm -hmm. and the soul being reincarnated so i'm hoping that in my next life i'm a little bit more aware mm -hmm. and i hope to be that old lady of a salt and pepper hair that's just genuine and people love and she can talk to and make tea for <laughs> that sounds like a lovely life to right, be with you. right. um so we're talking about, you know, you're still in your childhood right yeah. now, and you have, you're developing these survival mechanisms that um, will end up becoming unhealthy, um, toxic traits. Let's go from there. Um, so also part of it is, like I mentioned in the beginning, because I felt like it was the most important thing, is I'm emotionally wired. So you put mm -hmm. that with codependency problems. So I'm watching the abuse happen. It's internalizing in me, feeling guilt, um, just because I'm emotionally wired, the age I'm at it's affecting me um, and then there was some emotional abuse and emotional neglect and when I say this in case any of my family members are listening or hear it or any friends hear it and then want to share it with my family um, 
this is not to drag them through the dirt. This is not to air out our dirty laundry, but this is my life and this is what has happened. And I'm sick of trying to hide it because of people's judgments. And you know, a lot of my fear about doing this was judgment. And I'm finally, I've worked past that, yay. Um, so I do wanna say that, that when I start, when I'm saying these things about my parents, um, I'm not saying that they were bad parents. Um, you know, no parent is perfect. And I'm not saying that they didn't love me and they don't love me. Uh, but definitely there was some emotional neglect with everything that was going on. Well, and it's a really important thing to say is we're not talking about your parents' story. Yeah, we're talking true. about your story. And that just happens to be what, what happened happened. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you can't, there's no reason to, when, especially with where you're at now in life, um, to ever have to sugarcoat yeah, that's those, <laughs> those issues because this is this part of your story. And Thank this you is a story that you want to share and that you're supposed to be sharing um, for whatever rhyme or reason that it is. And we'll um, talk about that a little bit at the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, and a, a big thing that I want to highlight here is that even if you were not necessarily um, the individual receiving a lot of the physical abuse, just being in an abusive household oh, yeah, is definitely. a very is emotionally toxic thing that takes a toll, and that's how you get into those survival mechanisms that turn into unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, because just being around abuse is uh, it affects the entire household to, yes. say, to say the least. It, it's it's not uh, just the uh, quote unquote. There's many. What I want to say is yeah. there's many victims of abuse, yeah. and there's many okay. forms of abuse. Yeah. Um, and just because you're not always being hit doesn't mean you're not a recipient of abuse. Correct, yeah. Thank you for that reminder. Of course, of course. <laughs> it's important. Um, so that's the childhood summed up, essentially. Um, and then we go into my teenagehood, and I'm usually typically really open about this, um, but saying it out loud and knowing some people that don't know this is going to be kind of a struggle. So I've probably been uh, actually depressed, depressed since like sixth grade. That was the first time I told someone I wanted to uh, kill myself. And uh, they told the teacher and the teacher told the counselor and I went into counseling. I don't know if they ever contacted my parents. I just thought about that the other day. I was like practicing all this. I don't know if they ever contacted my parents. In theory? Yeah, I In would theory, think so. But... And I was put into like the social work. So I, I don't know. Um, and then you go into middle school, and middle school's a little rough, but my family was getting rougher at that point. And once again, I'm not going to go into detail about it. And, uh, you know, drama, <laughs> kid stuff, so my hormones are changing. Um, then I hit high school. Actually, the summer going into high school, so much stuff happened. Um, or in a few of the highlights yeah. that you're willing to share. Um, one of them is my parents' relationship really tanked. Um, my father was becoming... It, it, this is tricky and I do want to bring this up and um, it's something that I've witnessed is my sister became in an abusive relationship where she was being abused and my father found out about it and didn't like it so in return what did he do he would get violent and angry that she was still seeing him so I watched that cycle and that's something that actually really taught me stuff in life. Um, I don't want to get into detail about that. Uh, so my sister left home. She didn't even tell me she was moving out. I was at a friend's house. I came back. My sister was gone. My mom was crying. Uh, so that was a huge highlight. Um, there was a um, really bad fight between my parents and my mom had a black eye for a few weeks. Um, I don't know how many people actually know that. 
Um, and I was pretty much left alone all the time. My mom worked nights. My dad was always out. And I just got more and more depressed from being alone, feeling not cared about. Um, so that's the highlight of that. And this is the harder part to tell people um, is going into my freshman year, I actually had a plan to kill myself. And I reached out because I freaked myself out. I'm 14 years old. And that's what I'm feeling. Like that just, I think in general, it's screwed up that we already have people that are like, suicidal ideation not necessarily planning it or doing it but like I don't want to exist I just don't want to live anymore like I wish I wouldn't feel guilty about killing myself those are things that I've thought about in those moments so to be thinking of that at 14 that's just holy shit um yeah I guess uh warning for language it's explicit, Dude, it's explicit yeah. on every episode. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't think I've had a clean episode so far. So, yeah, okay, use, use whatever. I mean, you're telling, think of this as a meeting. You're yeah. just saying whatever. We're not at church right now. Not a work meeting either. Yeah, not a work meeting. I mean, depending on your work environment. Yeah, that's but, true. That's true. Um, um, so, going back to that, uh, so I emailed my middle school counselor because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to. Um, you know, I didn't feel like my parents would listen or I don't know if I thought that they wouldn't understand. I just... I did not feel alone and I didn't feel connected to them at that time. Um, and so then I emailed her and she contacted the high school counselor who already kind of knew about me because of my older sister. Um, and I got called down to the office and there's my mom, my dad, and my older sister. And I had to go to the hospital. And I'm going to probably tear up and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, of course it is. You know, Tissues will be provided. Oh, thank you. Yeah, they're right here. Mm-hmm. I, I saw them, but I didn't like process it. Um, I felt guilty that I was putting them through that. Well, that's your survival mechanisms. That now, Ex- you, you know, this is where one, the attention's on you, which in your growing up conditions is not a good yeah. thing. And then, um, you know, they say negative attention's attention too, but I didn't like it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, I don't like that. I feel bad because I'm making them feel bad and I don't want this attention on me anymore. And it wasn't. I really, you know, some people argue that I, it was not for attention. That's why I didn't tell them in the first place, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I was hospitalized. Um, and they diagnosed me with clinical depression and all that. Um, well, <laughs> unfortunately for me in that hospital stay, I uh, was told that I discovered self-harm. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a crazy place to learn it from. As, I mean, well, but, but makes no, sense. It, it does make sense. But most people who haven't been in that experience or don't yeah. typically aren't around that. Because well, you're exposed to other individuals who are in similar circumstances, exactly. who have other unhealthy coping mechanisms, where you know it's very easy to pick up those behaviors. Yeah. So um, go a little bit forward. I start doing that. Uh, you know. And it got bad. And I want to say, I, I hear from people that they start it because they want to feel in control. I've actually never experienced that feeling of undoing it for, for being in control. It's like when you want to punch something and you punch something, you get that endorphin release mm-hmm. and you just feel better. So that's what it was for me. It's, it's a, I've heard that described and, you know, from also yeah. personal experience, I can understand very much so. It is that release. Yeah. It's that... Um, you need to get something out. Exactly. And you can't vocalize it. You can't express it except through that literal release of blood or, you know, yeah. pain in an orphan. Pain and more yeah. so. Um, with talking about that, um, 
you know, I was so emotional over all this stuff. I'm already emotional. I've got this disorder that is, you know, we'll talk about, um, it's an actual like medical condition, uh, that I've learning to accept. Um, so I'm constantly having these breakdowns and I found my first, I'm going to quote boyfriend. I don't give a shit. Like it was just, you know, Good 14 years old. high school relationship. Exactly. Maybe. My oh first my one. Um, and we're then, learning how you know. fucked up relationships are and how desperately we want them. And how they start and progress throughout your life. Good and bad progression. You got to start somewhere. It's, it's a starting point right there. You're getting on the ride right there. That's really In true. In more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with that, oh, I keep saying that phrase. Um, okay, so you know I'm starting to use this a lot more. And I, oh, real quick, yeah. I would also like to highlight, as messed up as it sounds, it's a weird thing where it's called quote unquote harm reduction, where if someone's in suicidal planning mode, it is actually I would argue healthier to have them like do a rubber band snap on them and have some form of. Um, quote unquote self harm, and then you work on replacing that. It's very common in the recovery community. That's why you go to any real recovery meeting, you have caffeine. <laughs> I've noticed it, that. And cigarettes. It's true. Nicotine. It's because, and nicotine's <laughs> another one. It's because there are other stimulants that you can have that are not going to, quote unquote, have as much social issues. I'm not saying it's healthy to go exactly. down a pack of camel, whatever, but at the same time, um, a lot of the change models is just moving from a less extreme environment to a healthier coping mechanism. Definitely. So even though you picked up this other negative healthier coping and this other negative healthy unhealthy oh, coping yeah. mechanism, um, it's arguably a lot better than taking your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I do want to make a mention. I'm not trying to, you know, take back what you said, but that's why I don't, I've... I used to think like I was recovered. Oh, I don't self-harm anymore. And probably through the last year, maybe the last two years, I realized, well, I still do in a way. So I feel kind of like I'm cheating myself if I say your, like I'm fully recovered. Your pain just takes new mental, it's turned into a mental game of putting yourself into unhealthy situations or yes. how far I can take a situation before I let it destroy me. Yes. All these, it, it becomes <laughs> a lot more sinister actually with their because the brain is an amazing thing. It really is. And it is a glutton for pain when you have these unhealthy coping mechanisms. I think that's I like that phrase. <laughs> something that both of us can share because I have that. I have that too. Yeah. You know, um, I like to see how far I can take my life before I just sabotage it. Um, I've gotten a lot healthier with that. And, but that's not to say that my brain ever will once it will race into those things. Yeah. Um, I think that's just a natural part of anyone who's been through um, self-inflicted trauma like that. Yeah, definitely. Because that is the end-all, be-all coping mechanism for that. Um, I'm an avoider. Mm -hmm. the oh, yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I'm avoiding. Yeah. You're like, why? I'm like, we're not talking about that right now. And that avoidance stage slapped me in the face hard. I got such a reality check twice in one week. Sometimes that's what happens. Something yeah. financial huge happened, and then um, I'll be more open about that. I started screwing up at work between being on medication, being foggy, not being able to concentrate, not paying attention to myself, not double checking my work. And I got written up finally after my boss, like giving me time and stuff, you know, trying to work with me. And those two things totally just slapped me in the face, not in like, I'm not trying to like sound like a victim, but like, it was, I needed it. Oh, it's a wake up call. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. definitely was. And, and I'm trying hard to not fall back into that avoidance pattern. Well, because you can use those things. That's the difference in my opinion between being in recovery and being in, I'm just going to say an active addiction, mm -hmm. not necessarily a substance addiction, but a behavior addiction and not the behavior. 
But the difference is in recovery, you can acknowledge those things and use them as motivational things to continue to go along your change models. While in your while you're in your active addiction of this mental um, isms, um, you're going to allow it to continue to happen, and you're not going to do anything about it, but continue to pursue it into oblivion. Yeah, that's what the big. That's it, the first question I asked on this podcast. What's the difference between your addiction and recovery? Yeah, um, that's what it is really, in my opinion, is that you're able to have those wake up calls, and they're able to be wake up calls and not just another um, descent point. Yeah, and actually, uh, that's going to come up again when I get to like you know another the major point in the last year um, is I have awareness of it in general. Um, so backtrack to high school. First boyfriend. Oh, I don't even want to talk. I don't give a shit about him. <laughs> but that was just so much drama. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm in love. Oh my God, he doesn't want me anyway. It was just stupid. Now that I think about that part. Yep. Um, but there was a lot of self-harm. And later that fresh. So I got hospitalized twice in the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really bad. Like my, um, I started on my legs and uh, they were covered. In, and I still look at my scars. And the, that was an acceptance thing too. Um, and I have actually a really bad one on my wrist that I see all the time. And uh, some days it affects me and some days it doesn't affect me. Um, but uh, my friend, I really was like, I'm going to kill myself. And there was train tracks and I was like, fuck this. And like, I started running and I'm not a runner. <laughs> and he caught up to me and he's, um, I don't talk to him. I don't hang out with him anymore. He was really close to me. So it was like a brother to me. Um, and he stopped me. He grabbed me. He is was thinner than me and he still like threw me over his shoulder and dragged me back home um and i was only like a block and a half away um and he sat me in the kitchen and he goes uh i'm not gonna say my mom's name i'm actually not gonna use any people's names in here besides my own we'll call everyone them schnappalapagus <laughs> i don't even know and if i can miss i can't <laughs> i see what you For did there whatever gender they identify as you know i like that um, so Mr. Schnappalophagus. Yeah, he uh, he called my mother down and he's like, she's been hurting herself, you know. And my, oh, that's where like my guilt comes in is I put my mom through so much and I recently told her, I was like, I'm so sorry. And, you know, we talk about that and she loves me unconditionally. And um, through all of this, even though I talked about emotional neglect, my mother has been the biggest thing in my life to keep me soft. I'm going to say it like that instead of letting life harden me and be um she taught me everything has feelings uh literally like my toys i Mm -hmm. won't replace my stuffed animal from childhood because i don't want her to feel replaced um and we bonded over nature and just stuff like that but that's kind of just a side note um it's an important part of the story though it is it really is that's true um so she took me to the hospital i got hospitalized again it didn't do anything um except for this is the point i'll say my diagnosis um, because talking about avoiding, I avoided it after this. Uh, they diagnosed me with bipolar type 2. And for those who don't know what it is exactly, because, um, well, I don't want to say exactly, but people, when they hear bipolar, they think of type 1, where it's extreme mania and then crashes. And people get scared of that because of things that have happened in the news and they say they were bipolar off their meds, they were in a mania and all that. Um, mine is type 2 is more so. My highs are normal average person's high sometimes a little bit more you know like happy excited oh something's going good and then uh i can dip into a depressive episode um and throughout my life when i was more stable i still had those dips 
um, and I worked through them. Um, I, real quick though, yeah. I do want to make a sidebar and just mention um, that plenty of people with both type 1 and type 2, by far a majority are harmless people. Yeah, they really, yeah. thank you for yeah. that actually. Yeah. And that is something that's angered me ever since I was diagnosed with that. Yeah, it's not, uh, people with strong mental illnesses are some of the most um, taking advantage of communities mm -hmm. and some of the most least likely to perpetrate violence yeah. and to be given in, and being, to be forced into negative situations. So we want to take a moment just to highlight that fact that just because someone has, um, whether it's borderline personality disorder to bipolar to substance abuse, to schizophrenia. These are some, uh, generally speaking, the most docile and most helpful, most um, creative souls that are out there and that are least likely to perpetrate crimes of violence. Definitely, and that goes in with everything being stigmatized. Correct. Everything. So we, and, you know, this podcast all is all about addressing those stigmas yeah. and destigmatizing them. So I just and wanted to down. have that quick thing. So we're at, um, we're at stage two, or no, sorry, bipolar two. Yeah. That's stage um, two, different thing. I tried medication. Nobody really kept on top of me. Didn't keep me on my psychiatrist thing. And you're a high school teen too. Jun yeah, and I'm like junior yeah. year. Not exactly. No. Yeah. Okay. You know, this is freshman year still. Like I said, dates and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, now in my adulthood, I finally accepted it. And I'll get back in more into that. But um, I haven't said that on any social media platform yet. Um, and on my Instagram. Still technically haven't. This isn't social media. This is true. audio media. Yeah. Good one. Good point. But I'm going to be displaying this on social media. On my Instagram page, I'm very transparent. And some people think I overshare. But uh, there's a reason I'm doing this. And one of the reasons, and I, I'll talk a little bit more about it later, um, is to let people know they're not alone. It's a huge part of recovery. It really is. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, that's probably the main thing there. No, and it's just, it's a thing that it's very good to be selfish about yeah. doing that. One, it's your fucking personal page. Post wherever the goddamn hell you yes. want. Yes. First of all, <laughs> as long as you're not breaking any laws or anything like yeah, that, or absolutely. You're, um, putting um, negative uh, memetic stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's fine. Put it whatever you want. But two, it's it is a part of your personal recovery is it the is. sharing of your story. Um, and my life. I struggle with that whole purpose thing, like, do I need a purpose, do I not, what is my purpose, and all I know is ever since I was in high school, one of the things I just want to, if I can just inspire someone, if I could help someone, just one person, and I have helped a few people in life, um, and I'm proud of that, and those people I hold very dear to my heart, even if I don't talk to them, just losing touch and stuff like that, so that's another reason I definitely share my story. Um, and like the other thing because I've seen other people do this is they share something with their trauma and somebody will look at it as oversharing but I'm like holy crap that technique can save someone uh, someone posted something about uh, domestic violence and she always kept a key an extra car key in her pocket or in her purse because her ex would pull out the key from the car and try to control the situation and keep her there or take the keys and hide it um, so if anybody is in that type of situation, that is a good um, thing to help you. So reading that, it's like that could save someone's life at some point, you know. Um, and it creates a dialogue. It does. Which is something that you, without a dialogue, these um, things will never change in the social zeitgeist. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you need to have these dialogues. Um, uh, as It might come as a surprise to you people, but as someone who has a podcast, I'm a real big believer in having many dialogues. Um, and it's just important, you know, that is what creates social change is, you know, as long as, um, information 
is repressed and stories are repressed, um, there will be a folly in creating any change attempts. I like to take, for example, um, in Nazi Germany, when they uh, before in that they had their uh, research institute of uh, basically sexual sexual identities, uh-huh. and because of all the transsexuals and everything like that that were happening in pre um, in the Kingdom of Germany yeah. and everything like that. So people that think that transsexuals are a recent phenomenon have just been that's actually history yeah. being <laughs> really literally erased, yeah. you know, and burned. And that's the thing that's why we're having such a lag on a lot of these current social issues with um, these gender identities is because we've literally lost uh, over a hundred, you know, hundred uh, from over a, almost a. 50 years ago now, a bunch of research that went into all these things. You know, something else with that is so many people talk about, um, well, everybody has a mental illness now, and they say it in a really negative connotation. It just means the brain's the brain. Yeah, for real. And then it's just like, no, we're just bringing it to light because all these people that were probably angry years ago and, you know, you hear so many times about, well, I got my ass beat back in the day. Okay, so why are you keeping that going just because you did it you're gonna do it to your children and I'm not talking about discipline because that's a whole other topic but my father would say he's disciplining yeah and he's beating you know and oh my god just seeing the things I've seen that was not discipline it's different it definitely is different ranges um and one is a lot more trauma inducing and there's a difference yes. between discipline and trauma induction. Yes, yes. Oh, de- I'm actually thankful that you said that because that's something that's going to, mm-hmm. that exact phrase, it's going to stay in my head. Um, and what was I going to say about that? I can't remember. <laughs> no, it's okay. We've covered already a lot of topics. We so. really have. Yes. I don't, I'm not keeping time. We're, we're in high school. Yeah, okay. Thank you for keeping me on track. That's where we're at. And I'm bipolar type two, so it's out. There we go. I feel better saying it. Um... And just so everyone knows, I'm petting a rock right now. <laughs> Healthy coping mechanisms yeah, is just it's, fine. It's smooth and it's uh, called a Queen Valley Marble that a couple uh, in Arizona harvest. I don't know if that's right. I'm word. just really impressed that I saw that record of the slap on the audio right here that uh-huh. I'm watching go. I saw the, thing, <laughs> the, the spike up from that on the audio file. So that was that was really entertaining for my parts. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And it's just beautiful. That's all I'm going to say. It's really soft too. It doesn't it feel is. like a rock. So when you see the outside of it, it looks like just a plain boulder rock. Like you wouldn't think anything of it. And this guy cuts them and it's all these colors and it's different colors. This one's more purplish based. Um, but there's other ones that I have that are like white with green in it and they're just also smooth and he just polishes it out and yeah. It's super soft. It's it's yeah. insane. It doesn't feel like a rock. No, it doesn't. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It right. feels like like a hard like stuffed toy. Yeah. You know, that's the best way to describe it. Like rubby. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just wanted to tell everybody that. So, uh, high school, hospitalized again. Uh, my parents are officially divorcing. My grandfather dies. My dog dies. All in like a six week period. It's a fun six weeks. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, a, that's a ride. Um, I was starting to self harm and. I was getting to the point where, like, I didn't, I already didn't want to exist, but I didn't have a plan, and I asked my mom to hospitalize me, and she's like, oh, well, can we try to find any other, you know, um, alternatives? I was like, mom, I need to go. And I started to become aware. That's self-realization, though. great. At the age of 17, that was, I was very connected to my mind not to the point of that now but i that's when i started to connect to my mind actually started listening to that internal yeah monologue of what is the what is my quote-unquote heart soul brain trying to tell me exactly yeah. um so i went in there and it helped actually uh my parents didn't help they were fighting they would got... you would you quickly say that this is the first time you were really open to help yes 
Definitely. And you think that's a big reason of why like you, this time when you were 17, you went, you actually got something out of it because you were actually able to start hearing. Yes. Um, so let me say this. The first two visits were in the same hospital. I'm from originally Chicago. And the hospital I went to was closer to downtown. And the people that were hospitalized there compared to the people um, that I was hospitalized with in my junior year, kind of different people, different environments, uh, different situations. Um, and experiences, I just feel like, you know, I'm not speaking for them, but they were kind of different. Um, the staff really made a difference because that staff in the first one, uh, they were just negative. I mean, they just wanted you in and out. They didn't really care. The second place, they were definitely more caring. And one thing I remember, and this is, um, I actually don't really talk about this often, and I'm okay with it, though, but it's weird that I'm about to spit it out on an audio thing um my dad was yelling at me in the, when i was in the hospital i don't remember what about and i started smack i was so overwhelmed that i started smacking my head nobody told me to stop this counselor didn't try to stop it and like people are opening the door like is it okay in here and i mean at that time i'm not thinking the way i am now but then i go to this other hospital and i was supposed to have a meeting with my parents and maybe be released the next day and the counselor comes up to me and she's like, um, it's not going to happen today. And I'm like, what happened? And she's like, your parents couldn't get along and I was not putting you into that. And That's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. And right whoever that woman is, I just want to thank her. <laughs> I don't remember names or anything. Thank you, Nurse 8462. Yes, there you go. Um, it was just, yeah, that was definitely the difference. So I was op- more open to help at that time. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh I guess also trigger warming on substance use. I don't know if I necessarily want to call it abuse. <laughs> um, use, use is fine. Yeah. You can, you can, and this is from me being in recovery, so yes, let, me get on that's my why high, like, let me get on my high horse real yeah. quick. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, I believe that for the most part, everyone goes through a phase in their life, especially when you're dealing with different traumas. Um, where you do go through a substance abuse phase, mm-hmm. a lot of people are just able to navigate naturally their way out of it and grow out of it, which does happen to quite a lot of individuals. Um, it's um, the minority that goes on to chronic substance abuse, yeah. where it becomes um, a lifelong issue, potentially. Um, but I've just talking with anyone who's been through a bad breakup, and they spent the next month binging, you know, <laughs> get smoking pot or... Um, drinking or whatever you know it is yeah I just you know that's, that's in, in that time period it is definitely using a substance as a crutch yeah um in the thing and that is you know it's it's a symptom of substance abuse so yeah. i would like to use the phrase substance misuse there you go i like that um but this is also the other thing where i'm not sure if i would use misuse i started smoking pot and um it actually helped and it helped yeah. for years and it really did stabilize me and one of the things that i like to tell people is I can break it down in my head why it helped. One of the main things was it slowed down my thoughts. I had so many racing thoughts. Mm-hmm. I was actually able to not just slow them down, but sort through them and put them where they needed to be. So I currently do not smoke because of my job, but um, I miss it. And when I stopped a few years ago, it really actually, I tanked. Well, being one of the, not, <laughs> So not, that's where it might be a little bad, like that I depended on it. That's the thing, though. There is this ability to stop. Uh-huh. Or even with um, drugs such as marijuana, there are people who can't stop for mm-hmm. a job. 
Um, and I have uh, a, f- a friend, unfortunately, who's going through an issue with that right now. And I'm just like, okay, you do you. You yeah. definitely don't have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, with that ability to stop is a pretty big indication of, like, growing out of it or X, Y, and Z different things where it is yeah. no longer dependency. But then you have the issue in your circumstance where there was that crash, so there was a dependent use. Yeah. You were literally self-medicating. Yeah, I was. And that's... Um, but I cleaned floor. I cleaned my mother's floors and my job floor. I just, I have to say, that I was productive. It's a slight. It's, I'm not arguing that there's not benefits there, but there is a there's a huge difference between self medication and being medicated by a licensed professional. Yes. Because you're able to actually have um, good doses. Yes, and I'm not- gonna talk about that in a little bit. Um, so after that, I started hanging out with friends that were better than the ones before. You know, a few rough ones came into this group, but. Um, partying, drinking, driving around smoking blunts, all that type of stuff. But I was enjoying myself and I felt free and that's when I started to kind of more connect with myself. And part of that too... Um, Did you say that this is also where you really started discovering your spirituality? Oh yes, the and I was about to say yeah. with that, my spirituality and my sexuality is not a bad thing. No. And not Humans where I was... fuck. Exactly. That's and it what wasn't humans have always done. Where it's dangerous dangerously promiscuous and just unhealthy but this is when I was like I'm in control of my body I can do it I'm allowed to feel the pleasure you know what I mean and yeah. for oh, me yes, Daddy. yes. <laughs> Caillou or, over here as I've been saying yes puppy <laughs> but um no comment yeah right uh so uh, inform me with my spirituality, uh, my sexuality does definitely well, and come with a, it. A lot of people, when they go through these developments, those are very um, uh, ta- uh, tangoed um, yeah. things. Those things that mutually start to grow together because, I mean, you get into any form of religious spirituality or just spirituality in general, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a very high um, emphasis on um, sexual practices in a lot yeah. of those different forms as well. And one is just being in tune with your body. So it when you start really developing is. these three-pronged things with your physical, um, your emotional slash mental, and your spiritual, you know, you kind of hit all three tangents the at the same Trinity, time. the Holy Trinity, Exactly. <laughs> it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, what order that is, I have no fucking clue. Or, but. let's go with my belief in life. It is the Maiden, Mother, and Crone. That's totally fine. I'm just saying, you, you brought up the, the, the Christian the speak. Holy Trinity, the Christian speak, so I just was trying to I go off I didn't think of about this one at first. I just pointed out I have a tattoo of that, and it's three moons, just so everyone Oh, knows. that's totally fine. You're allowed to have whatever beliefs, but when you're talking... I know. You, when religious, I heard, you know, you're talking to a religious studies major here, so I have yeah, to use I mean, the proper terminology. I mean, it is a, a Celtic fault. knot? Is that okay? A yeah, triple Celtic knot? Yeah, okay, yeah, do that. Um, I'm not into necessarily saying we. I would suggest. I'll take not because <laughs> I don't know how to tie it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's I'm, not how I'm that works learn. at all. I can do a double coin, but I cannot do a... <laughs> we'll, you'll get there. Yeah, I'm right. not worried about we'll that. Talk, I am going to actually touch yeah. on that um, with part of my healing. Well, exactly. Well, this is going to be a multi-part <laughs> yeah. episode. I mean, we're, we'll probably go for about another 20 minutes here or so, yeah. so, because we're already at 40 minutes. So Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so that's the background. I started to do better. I was in a three-year relationship at that point. Toxic. Uh, physically abusive. Would not- you say that it was over two years? What do you mean? The relationship. Yeah. It was not not over. No, it was over two years. Not not just three years, but over two years too. Well, this is the one from when I was eighteen to twenty-one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I kind of. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> You're confusing me. Trying to make a bad joke. Yeah, yeah that was my, terrible. <laughs> oh, that's my historical credit. I, they're not all winners, but I keep throwing enough out there. Eventually, one will hit. 
Um, so that happened, broke up two years, finding myself depressive okay. episode. I moved to Arizona. And you're already starting medicating, or you're self-medicating at this Self-medicating point. Self-medicating at this point. Um, and I moved to Arizona and that was a big step for me to uproot myself and replant myself somewhere. My dad was here, my stepmom and my little sister and some other family members, so I was more comfortable. I'm kind of skipping over this because not too much happened. A little bit rocky living with my dad because of our relationship, but I was ready to start working on it. Um... I met, and this is probably, you know, a main point in everything, is I met my previous ex-boyfriend about five months after I moved here, and, you know, we hit it off, and within a year, we moved in together. I would hope you hit it off. You you dated, so. Yeah, right, for a significant amount of time, Um, and I'm going to kind of, if anyone is listening to this, uh, because they're expecting to hear the drama or get the dirty details or the dirty laundry, you are not going to get it. So that's, I do have to say it because I feel like some people are going to listen for that reason. Um, so we move in together after a year. The job position I took was actually a toxic work environment and I was became depressed and all this. So then the next summer, uh, I get a new job at where I'm at now and I'm actually very happy with it and that's why I'm trying harder right now. Um, okay. Yeah. So, 2017 was probably the uh, start of the problems, and my ex went through uh, something with his mental health, and situations happened, and, um, you know, he wanted to leave and move back to where he's from, and it kind of made me feel, it it was just random, and, you know, it, it... it's going off, but untreated codependency issues, yeah. that's a devastating And then blow. I'm being told at the same time, well, I want to stay with you, but I want to move. I want a long-distance relationship. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But anyways, that's kind of the start of this. And other things happened that year. Um, and then 2018, and like I said, we just started disconnecting less time together. I was starting to realize I wasn't uh, in love anymore and I didn't feel it from him we loved each other but you know the in love is different mm-hmm. um so kind of fast forward uh to September just I started to get a bad mental break also with that is because I'm empathetic and codependency problems my father was going through an emotional mental health time so he started to kind of heal his trauma I genuinely wanted to be there for him because I understand this stuff and I feel for him in a way, you know, and uh, helping him brought up my trauma. And then I'm in this relationship and that's going down. And then I'm receiving all the bad stuff. People criticize me that I don't listen to the news. I'm, uh, that's okay <laughs> because that's just too much negativity. And this is kind of the main thing that I know some people are listening to here because I haven't openly talked about that but on november 4th i was arrested for domestic violence and a lot of people it comes a shock to uh, because i'm typically a gentle person um i'm laid back but goofy and you know kind of poke and prod uh but i uh, i don't even know how to explain the situation um a fight or flight situation triggered and i hit him and the police came because neighbors heard it and um, I admitted it because I felt guilty. I was in the middle of a panic attack. Um, even though he was involved with the situation, I was like, no, it was unprovoked. And it was provoked. Um, so I was arrested and I spent 14 hours in jail. And that flipped my world upside down. And that is what has started this whole 
transformation essentially and that actually wasn't even rock bottom well no i won't say that it was rock bottom but you hit a breaking point yeah you know you um went through you were in um a, a toxic relationship at this point. Yeah. Um, oh. I, I won't say any details and on it. And with but. that, I do want to mention, and thank you for reminding me that, uh, the toxicity was not one-sided. I'm not going to blame him ever. Uh, it's on both of us because I was toxic as well. Clearly, if I was arrested for domestic violence, I had some toxic yeah. tendencies. And the relationship wasn't toxic all the time. It was that summer that it became toxic and abusive. Well, and I think you really want to highlight real quick that you hit a bunch of these triggering events. Yes. There was multiple yes. triggering events on both parties Yeah. that uh, caused this. Yeah. This wasn't uh, one night we wake up, oh, I can hate you. Yeah, No, definitely. this was something happened, something happened, something happened, and eventually it um, had this slow entropy of toxicity, and then on that night in November... It was daytime. You, it was, <laughs> day in November, my apologies. <laughs> I spent the night in jail. <laughs> uh, you reach this moment of toxicity, this overload, this breaking point, um, when that you, whatever um, the specific event that was that triggered your fight or flight instincts to, um, you know, sock him, yeah, um, and hit him. Um, that was that was the breaking point. You 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 know this it, it, this is just the transition liminal point of yes. something that had a long buildup. So yes. we don't. I I want to make that clear real quick that this isn't like. A sporadic yeah. of the moment Thank thing. Thank you but for this helping is, me. Yeah, no problem. Get through that because I know yeah. we, we we discussed some things beforehand. Yes, <laughs> this is something. This is a long. I don't want to say that, that it was destined to happen. Yeah, but it was. There was a buildup. Yeah, and that some definitely. something was going to happen. And because I'm such an emotional person, and I think I'm probably going to wrap up on this and then just say one more thing because mm -hmm. I know we're getting low on time. No, you're as long as we want to go. Oh, but that's fine. We can we, can, we have more <laughs> well, episodes to record at some point. So, um, well. This is a good I point. don't want people to hear me drone for a little bit, <laughs> so maybe we'll split this whole conversation into two. Um, but we'll we'll kind of wrap it up on this end of the the major point that helped that created my downfall. I would say I was already falling. Um, it, I want to say is I'm so emotionally wired that for me to be angry like that, to me to reach that point, to me to get violent it's emotionally exhausting it was that's i go uh, i was sitting there in, oh, in the police station just sobbing and the police officers were so nice and i want everybody to know that the zero tolerance law in arizona so many people told me it's bullshit it's not it is the law and that is a law that needs to be withheld because it protects some people not always because i have a problem with that um with you know restraining orders not really helping um, but that's the law and it's not bullshit because I'm a woman. I feel like a lot of people say it because I'm a woman that it's bullshit that I got arrested for the situation. Situation sucked. Uh, other cops might've just let it go, uh, especially since he did not want me arrested. Uh, I guess I should have mentioned that I was arrested because Arizona is zero tolerance state. So if you admit it, you get arrested, whether that other person wants to press charges or not, the state of Arizona will go after you. Um, so that, that law saves lives, so. Yeah, it does, and mm -hmm. that's what I'm saying. Um, and so it just it took an emotional toll. Like I said, it was just in that whole moment. It was, I, I clearly remember it, actually. Um, so that's the event. I guess I should go just a little further. Uh, I don't know if we technically were trying to stay together. I wasn't allowed home for a week and a half. I wasn't allowed to talk to him. Um 
and I did get a lawyer so you know to help me out with all of it and I eventually went back home I don't know if I want to use the words that we're trying to work it out but we were trying to at least emotionally support each other which you really couldn't in that time you were still existing together exactly um and you know at the time we were trying to emotionally support now I think back we couldn't do it and some other events Big transpired shocker. yeah right <laughs> uh some other events transpired and I hit my bottom my rock bottom a huge fight broke out I was throwing stuff I smacked him on the chest um and that was it like I was like done and he's like I'm done so I never want to say like like I left him or he left me because it's it was mutual in that sense you we were, were just like holy shit like we're yeah. done the next morning um one thing that I am gonna also bring up uh my best friend She's my fucking rock. I've known her since I was 12. Um, she stayed. I wanted to hurt myself. That's another thing. At this rock bottom point, I'm... Again, it's a coping mechanism. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is a huge trigger warning at this point right now. Um, when I get those urges, uh, my wrists tinkle, my legs tinkle, and I have to kind of like hold them together and like I I'll put my hands between my legs and this might actually save someone or you know help mm -hmm. them and I kind of just freeze myself on the bed um and it's like an itch for anyone who's curious and that's where I like feel it's an addiction and I it is in a way we were talking um an addiction you have to remember isn't just defined to substance abuse but it's a repeated yes. behavior it's a behavior behaviors for addiction too definitely um so i was at that point where i would have i would have and my best friends she is pregnant she is an at-home mom and wife which is hard and she has an autistic son and she stayed up till probably 5 a.m uh illinois time central time um, for me and she stayed on the phone until I fell asleep so I did not harm myself um, and that is just a beautiful friendship uh, to be there like that um, she's my rock I love you if you're listening to this and you know exactly who you are um, and the next morning I woke up I went and woke him up he had the door locked I do never blame him for that and the, that's kind of like a shaming moment for me I was like oh god I'm, I'm that bad you know um and I said I need you and he got up and he's kind of cranky I was like what and I was like I need you to go get all the razors out of my bathroom second shower and he did and he went and took a shower locked the door and I said I'm leaving I'm going to the doctor to go get medication and I went and I got uh, anxiety medicine and part of this um Anybody who says they don't want anxiety medication because of uh, them becoming addictive and stuff like that, I actually got a non-narcotic -narcot mm -hmm. um, anxiety pill and I have not needed to go to anything higher or stronger. I was even asked if I wanted anything stronger and I denied it. So there's other options. Don't let what you hear typically hold you back from getting help. Um, the nurses were wonderful. It was a nurse practitioner and her uh, uh, student. Uh, they were so wonderful so lovely they really helped me um and actually i want to say something else uh i had a doctor in september i tried to talk to him about anxiety he told me to lose 100 pounds and i wouldn't care what people think and he would not give me anxiety medicine mm. yeah your face is just <laughs> like so uh maybe had i had anxiety i wouldn't have been arrested you know anxiety medicine so it's not addressing the situation <laughs> yeah but i'm just saying <laughs> That has nothing to do with And I should not, and people who are listening, I should not keep thinking, well, what if, what if? I do accept it. Um, I guess we're going to wrap up this part. 
And I do want to say that the reason I'm sharing is you guys don't wait until you hit that bottom to get help. Do not wait till you're at your worst and you're hurting yourself, you're hurting others. Um, don't be me. Don't get arrested. And then that's when you're finally going to get the help. And I mean, for me, being arrested sucked. It was so traumatizing in so many ways, emotionally and everything. And I think I'll talk about that at a different point. Um, but I, and I got my help, but it did help me get help. It did. It was some sort of good to come out of it. I started therapy the next week and that's another thing. So while I'm saying you guys get the help you need, as soon as you think you might need help, you should probably start looking into at least a counselor or, you know, something online. Um, don't a lot of people, including myself have used the excuse that you can, you work too much to find a therapist. My therapist works Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. They exist. You guys can find them. And there's also ones that will work with you on a sliding scale. If you ever have a question about that, please contact me and I'll be able to try and help and find some sort of uh, resources for you. Um, so that's pretty much the main reason I'm sharing. Okay. Well, I think that this is a great first introduction yes. into <laughs> our continuing conversation that will continue to evolve. Um, we've learned a lot, obviously. We've learned um, specifically a lot about your story, um, about how these intergenerational traumas affected you and your development and how they um, culminated in this one breaking point finally. Yeah. Over 20 years later. Yeah. You know what I mean? For real. <laughs> um, and then we also started, we were at the beginning of the road to recovery. Yeah. You know, so I think this is, is a really good point um, to um, have our own transition. Yes. <laughs> and to take some time to reflect and figure out how we want to move forward. Um, is there any, how would you want the people to contact you? Uh, is there um, any handles you want to throw out? So or? I'm going to be sharing this on my Instagram story and my Twitter. So basically, if you guys are able to see this. Um, you, you have my Instagram, you know, my Twitter, I'm kind of keeping that a little bit private. Mm -hmm. Um, but where that's, those are the platforms I'm going to be sharing. So you guys won't clearly know how to message me. Um, the, and the few people I'm sending the links to are people that have my phone number Okay. and whatnot. Okay. Um, and as always, if anyone needs to have someone talk to you or you need some resources, you can always email me at, um, into the descent at gmail.com. Or you can follow me at Twitter, which is where I post all my updates for different shows and when I'm going in my hermit phases and <laughs> when I don't want to post and everything like that. Um, at um, Into the Descent. Um, at tw uh, That's my handle at Twitter. I guess that's it. Into yeah. the Descent at Twitter, I guess. Um, and if you ever want to share a story, please send me a message. And I, you know, that's the joy of this podcast is that I do it because I want to be able to do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> um, and I like going on long rambles and having interviews with um, resilient individuals. Um, Crystal, I want to thank you personally for taking the time to open up and beginning to share your story. I'm excited for what the future has to hold for not only you, but selfishly my podcast with yes. you in it as well. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate um, that so much. Of course. It was an honor having you. And uh, remember to all the listeners, you are loved, you are not alone, and you were worth it. And thank you, Nathaniel, again. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to the Descent into Illumination podcast. Feel free to email me at thedescentinto at gmail.com. 
please follow me on Twitter at IntoTheDescent. Thank you very much again for listening. Please remember that you are loved, you are not alone, and that you are worth it.